morning. How y'all doing? Y'all looking good. Looking good. Wow. I am so glad y'all finally came. I'll tell you what. I learned something this morning. I've been, I, I was drinking coffee to settle down. I was running crazy without having a 9 o'clock service. I don't like that. Where are my 9 a.m. people at? I love y'all. Okay, the rest of those 9 a.m. people didn't show up. All right, we're judging now. They're too good. That's all right. That's all right. Man, I was going crazy. I got home, uh, I guess, around 8.30 or so this morning. I came over here for a little bit and went back home and told Callie. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't like this. She was like, because of the service and everything? I said, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. I, how many of you believe we ought to have about eight services a day for enough to facilitate all the people within, within our region? You know, there's about 30,000 people we can reach, Okay. And uh, so why not just go on and get them? And that's whether you're here or even in our online community that's ever growing. And you know what? We can reach there's community there too. Can we welcome everybody? If it's your first time today, can we welcome today? Awesome. You could be watching the weather reports and watching people display the flood of under the hill in Natchez. I mean, you could be doing anything. You could be listening to people try to pronounce southern uh, rivers and doing all kind of stuff. And you chose instead of comedy to come to church. So we are thankful for you. Also, also, can we welcome our online community right now and just say, man, we are so glad. Do you realize whether you are here or whether you're online, wherever there is people, there is community. And in the body of Christ, wherever there is community, you know what? In the body of Christ, it becomes family. It's a design. So, uh, man, we are excited about how God is expanding and expanding in so many different areas, especially today. I have a very, very exciting announcement. I don't know where, what all you got going on in your life today, but I'm telling you, you picked the absolute right day to be here because we have an opportunity coming up for you in just a moment you're going to want to jump in on it so fast if you if you've got today if you've got maybe you're a prayer journal person and you you write all your prayers on the right side and then you got on the left side of the paper when God answers them and maybe you got some blanks you're still waiting maybe it's been a little bit of time passed by and you're like I just don't know how much more today is your day because here's what the opportunity we got today. Today, for the first 10 people, they give $1,000 or more. They give $1,000 or more. By Wednesday, and why y'all laughing? It will be multiplied back to you five times. If, you, if you're like, look, I'm worried about overdraft, just consider it alone because it is going to be multiplied back to you. And then on Wednesday, that's on Wednesday, and by Friday, your prayer journal on the right side will be in full. I'm telling you, if you need to, you can get on your phone, cornerstonevidalia.com, cornerstonevidalia in the app store. Um, if you've got checks, we put pins in all the C's. And if you have trouble spelling, the word is M-I-L-L-I-O-N. Uh, we've got places to put this and are excited about how God is going to bless it back to you. Looking forward. And uh, y'all are all, of course, laughing at me. You know, you can really do it. We've got plenty of places they can go in ministry. They can expound and things we got on hold. But... And seriously, have you ever, I wonder though, you know, obviously I'm, I'm joking. I mean, I'm not joking, you, but you know, I am joking about the, de about the, about the Wednesday, Friday part. Um, you know what, but, but how, what, have you guys ever considered though? Have you ever done something you considered generous? And you didn't brag about it. You didn't like, you didn't say it out loud that, you know, 
well, look what I did and just realized what's coming back. But inside, maybe you just knew that blessing was going to come back as a result. You know, like whether it was giving somebody a few extra bucks or maybe it was helping somebody on the side of the road, flat tires in the rain and you were kind. And I know you're nice anyway. I mean, y'all are the people that get out when they have when we're supposed to be underwater right now, and you you drove some of you from so far dis dis distances, whether from Mississippi or Louisiana side, and you gathered together to lift up Jesus. So I know y'all the radical. I know you're nice. But have you ever done so and thinking, but really in the back saying, I know God's going to bless me for this. You bunch of liars. Yes, you have. Come on. Somebody has in here. I have. I'll throw myself in there. God's going to bless me. Maybe maybe you had some sort of, y'all think I'm still joking. I'm, we're in the series zone now, guys. We transitioned. But maybe that week, you know, you helped people and you did things. And maybe that just happened to be the week that, like, the plumbing blew up in your house. It destroyed three rooms. Your wife said, that's cool because we're going with open floor con plan concept, however you call it thing. You know, everything's going to be one room. You just got a toilet in the middle with a curtain around it now. I mean, it's just... <laughs> I mean, but and you're on your way to the hardware store to get you a few pieces to things that kind of at least stop the water flow going on inside. And on the way, lo and behold, you stop at a red light. Somebody point and you look out. Three of your tires are blown out. You pull over on the side. It's raining, and hey, we'll just wait on it to pass. Wait for the brake to come. Meanwhile, somebody drives by. A rock comes off the tire, slings it through your window. Now you're getting wet, and you decide I might as well get out. You assess the damage, and you, somebody shows up, and the wrecker shows up, and he's generous. He's like, man, I've told so many people today I don't need any more money than I've already got. I'm going to take you home for free. And you're like, the Lord has blessed me. And late that, late that night, about 11 o'clock, all of a sudden your phone blings and it says a fraud alert. And your spouse grabs your phone real quick and goes to the bank account to see that your debit card has been exhausted at the nearest liquor store. And all of a sudden you're like, What? And you realize when you got out of the car, your debit card fell out and somebody found it. And now your spouse is looking at you like, I knew you'd been hiding something from me. I've been talking to my parents about you for a long time. They said, I always have a room ready at their house. And me and the kids are gone right now. That's a bad day. Maybe that's a little bit extreme. But I wonder, have you ever had the seasons like this? Have you ever had, maybe that's extreme, but have you ever considered that doing something you consider the right thing and you'd be covered later. Like, you know, maybe I don't have too much to spare right here. Maybe I don't have the time really to spare. Maybe I really, I, I really need a few bucks. But, you know, God's going to cover me. God's going to take care. And then maybe you give and it's going to be given back, right? It's going to be multiplied. You know, you see, and so anything I do in the kingdom, anything I do good, it's going to come back and nothing is wasted. But have you ever wrestled in, internally with, but here I am, I gave. Here I am, I've helped, but now I have my problems. And where is my help? And then to turn around, whether you want to be so bold or not as to say it, but if you ever come to that place where you go, why me, God? What about all the things I've done? Why me? Why isn't it coming back to me? I remember we had a Suburban one time and our, our family was growing and we didn't like reaching over the back seat and, and all that. Just, I don't know, just got too tired of it. So we bought a minivan. 
And a minivan, favorite vehicle of all time. If I could get one, go into it right now, I would. We'd just add a sidecar or something for the kids. I don't know. Love the minivan. And, uh, but we knew that God had told us to give our Suburban away. We knew the family we were supposed to. We were so excited about it. it the, that door had opened and everything was there. It was paid for. We had enough money. The, the minivan was paid for, the new-to-us minivan. And so we, we called the family up. And we are like, look, we just want to make sure y'all are home. We're, we're coming over. we got a surprise for you. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to be here. And the dad worked off a lot, like, you know, several weeks at a time, come home, several weeks at a time, come home. And uh, it was one of those situations, you know, like the kids loved Jesus and the parents needed Jesus. You know, there was no support there. And we thought, you know what? We're going to, God is laying this on our heart. We're going to go in there and we're going to give them this title and the keys. And all of a sudden the dad's just going to get weeping and like, oh, I see that God is real now. Because they're kind of a large family and they, they hadn't been able to ride anywhere together. Ever. Not since last few kids anyway, which they were up. So it was always just pieces of them going here and pieces of them going there, never together. We were like, man, we're, we're providing for these children who are part of the church, and it's going to be a blessing. They're going to get to have to do stuff as a family, and they're going to get to go camping and doing all kind of cool stuff. It's going to really build, and the Lord is going to do a work. We let them know what God put on our heart, and we gave them a signed over title, and gave them the keys, and we're still waiting on that big Jesus moment to happen. What did happen was, oh, uh, thank you. <laughs> and a few weeks later, uh, somebody else gave him a minivan, so we were thinking, we could have kept this bourbon sold it. <laughs> you know? I think we jumped a gun. And so, as of this time, many years have gone by since, and the family is not only better, but they're divorced and partly remarried and live in other. It just didn't turn out the way we thought. In fact, we've been able to, God has blessed us to be able to give away a few vehicles in our lifetime. And so far, long-term results are, we're batting a straight zero. You know? You know, there's some good people in there, but just that radical burning fire, we're not batting real good. It seems like, you know, we're still, as we give, give things away and able to do, and as the long-term results are not looking, it seems like, you know, we end up being the ones who break down and we have to find taxis, you know. Well, stuff starts just falling apart like a teenage boy with an old four-wheel drive. It's just like everything keeps going wrong. I've had a few of them this week. I mean, can you relate with any of your own stories, though? Like, when it seems that the faithfulness was so big in our eyes, but the return is not yet what we thought it would be. Like, what happens if the part, we're in the part of our story of, of faith in God and faith in Jesus, and it seems like we're in the part of the story that God has us living, living and it seems to be like faith is more of an expense. It has more physical cost than a reward in that season. You know what I'm talking about? You know, when, when faith is an expense and it's not an income, like, we love the, love the repayment. We love the investment, you know, give, and it's giving back. And I believe in it completely. It's true. But there are times when faith, and hope, and trust, that all it has is purely a physical cost. And that's all we can see. 
The definition of faith, it comes from Hebrews 11.1. 1, it says this. It says faith is a evidence. It says the substance of things hoped for. Faith is substance. Faith is substance. I love him reading a book called uh, The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. And he, gives a, he, he breaks open this definition and he says, you know, the actual terminology is more of a verb tense. And it's faith is substantiating. Which makes more sense to me. Faith is substantiating. You know, it's, it's not there, but it's, it's building. It's like, it's kind of that virtual reality, but it's better than virtual reality. It's supernatural reality. It's substantiating. It's building. It's forming according to the faith that is applied and growing in that area. But you know what? There are seasons. Are you with me on this? There are seasons that the temptation can be, to be overcome with just a discouraging why God. And if this resonates with you, if you're like, man, I, I get what you're saying, I'm catching what you're laying down, I, 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 I follow. If this resonates with you, I don't know, maybe if you've been in church your whole life, if you just come to church, if you like radically love Jesus, but you just hadn't drifted over into actually ever reading the Bible. I, and maybe you think you learned it in Sunday school and I felt bored as a kid, I don't know. But I just want to tell you, you know a lot more about the Bible than you realize, if you understand this idea at all. In fact, you understand way more than you realize, especially in the context of a lady named Esther. A book of Esther that's ten chapters. It would be great if this resonates at all. It would be great just to begin to open up the Word of God and be like, Oh, I do get it. This speaks to me. And watch it come alive and watch God bring a transformation. So let's recap a little bit with Esther. Esther has been taken from her country. They are, they are an enslaved people. Esther is now she is she is not only that she lost her mom and dad at an early age uh, prematurely she is was living in poverty at some level then she is kidnapped off of the streets to be trafficked to the king for possibly just a one night stand but he decides it was a good time and that he would keep her as queen and she becomes queen and then she well I said uncle last week miss uh, not rightly so it's actually her cousin Mordecai says you know what her, her slightly older cousin says I'm going to adopt you as my daughter and takes her in and begins to sow wisdom and the ways of God into her and teaching her and raising her as, as her, his own daughter and not really sure he, he ends up going along as she becomes queen he gets a job as a palace official I'm not really sure what a palace official is but it's better privilege than living on the streets and it's better privilege than having to work too hard. It's one of those push-button jobs, you know? And then we pick up in the story in Esther 2, 21-23. This is how he gets in that position. Just kind of follow with me, if you will. It says, one day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's units, eunuchs, these other guys, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She told the king about it and Mordecai got credit for the report. So when an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, uh, it says, you know what, that the two men, the two eunuchs were impaled on a sharpened pole and this was recorded in the the king's chronicles i think it's kind of interesting just a side note total rabbit trail right here but evidently in the world if uh, becoming a eunuch there is still a measure of testosterone because they still had anger and it still got the better of them but that's a whole nother story maybe i shouldn't have said it that was my thoughts but an investigation was made and mordecai's story was found to be true and they impaled the men so esther becomes queen mordecai rescues the king 
end of the chapter, not even a thank you. But that's okay, I mean, because he's got a good job. I mean, life is getting better. He's working the palace life for the king. And, and this intrigued me. I looked up, you know, what it actually was that he did and what was a pal what, working in the palace, palace official. And I couldn't really find anything. So I just assumed it's a tater job that, because throughout the book of Esther, all we ever see is him walking around. So it's evidently a pretty, pretty good thing to have. And watch what happens in response to these things, starting in Esther 3.1. It says, sometime later. That's a, that can be an ugly phrase, can it? Sometime later. Sometime later after she had been trafficked and become the queen and seemed to be at least taken care of pretty well and having really good meals from there on out. Sometime later, after Mordecai did a really good deed and he rescued the king and surely there was going to be a repayment on his investment and his blessing was going to come back to him, multiplied tenfold, running over. Sometime later, I wonder how many people in here today have one of those, you're like, you know what, I'm not at the end, but I'm definitely in a sometime later place in my life right now. There are things that I thought would be different that are not different. There are situations I thought would be repaid that are not repaid. There are things that have turned out differently than I thought they would have turned out after all the good that I did and I'm still wondering why is this happening. Sometime later the king Xerxes promoted Haman the Agite over all the other nobles. Interesting. Making him the most powerful man in the empire. Sometime later, verse 2 goes on to say, all the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show respect wherever he passed by because the king had commanded it so. But Mordecai refused to bow down and show any respect. That's a man right there. Man taking a stand. Ain't going to bow down to nobody. I bow down to God and God alone. Mordecai standing for his worship. That's what we need. We need more men taking a stand. Amen. Amen. We need backbone, not rubbery spines. Amen. That's Mordecai. So Haman got mad. And I can appeal to my next generation. Haman got big mad, okay? Haman got big mad with Mordecai's whole fam, you know? And so after talking to the king, that Mordecai saved for murder, Haman talks to the king, and the king says this, it's okay, if you want to, just kill them all. Kill all the Jews. Wipe them out. I, don't, I really don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Wipe them out. All Jews. The queen is also a Jew. Have you ever heard of it getting worse before it gets better? What I would like to do today is to turn that understanding around just a little bit. So it's probably not what in the kingdom of God it works like this. It's not getting worse before it gets better. It's just oftentimes we're getting better prepared until the time is ready. Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? If we choose faith that is substantiating over blame, the debilitating, we will see that the outcome and what we see right now are not the same. We will see that the outcome and what we may see right now are not the same. Oh, and by the way, the icing on the cake is this day was April 17th. It would have been really funny if it had been April 15th, but it's April 17th. The, the, the irony is this. April 17th, he said, yeah, we'll put it into a law that you can wipe out all the Jews in one day. Um, but that day is going to be on March the 7th. 
which is almost a full 11 months later. And the reason I say that is because of this. Because whoever killed the Jew now on the Jews' land. They had been given a little bit measure of life. They'd been captured for over 100 years. And it kind of got back to getting a finding a way and a rhythm and having some privileges again. And the Jews have 11 months to worry and 11 months to moan and 11 months to develop bitterness or 11 months to trust God no matter what. So the entire empire of Jews began to fast. And that sounds great. But Esther 4.3 says they also wept. And they wailed. Wept. And they wailed. Where wailing had my curiosity? So I looked it up in the original language and wailing meant wailing. So that intrigued me and I looked it up in my original language. It comes from Webster's Dictionary. And it goes like this. Crying with pain grief or anger or to express sorrow audibly crying with pain grief or anger or to express sorrow audibly i'm not trying to take anyone back down a memory drive to a wailing point in life i'm not trying to stir up really things that we'd like to kind of move past but i've got to ask you to consider the horrid situation of this text that we're in today because the report the report they had and they said they knew they couldn't run they couldn't hide even if they did on land they were still they were still captured in the land they were in they had opportunities to leave earlier some of them and they didn't take it they're like you know what things are getting well here they god just hang out it's not that bad in the captured land it's amazing how sin puts a hook isn't it so often and for nearly a year, they will know that the people they see in town, that they may have helped out with their farm, could now be the same family that comes to their house after them and after their children with swords and hands. Because the privilege of the reward of killing the Jew is any Jew family you wiped out, you now own their land. Deed was in your hand. Can you imagine the tension this built? This would be the equivalent of the Republican and Democrats showing up at the same rally. And they were friends until they got there and they found out which side of the tracks they stood on from each other. And now it's like, oh, you're my enemy and I hate you. And you're my enemy and you're an idiot. And, you know, you'd have been going back into the, the 60s, even in our area. And it would have been... It would have been the, the, the black man working at a tire shop helping the white man coming in, not knowing that that was going to be the same white man that would come in with a cape later on in the night. The tension of what looks so normal now becomes all of a sudden a threat. It's the, it's the going into the certain stores and maybe it's a, a different culture, a different nationality and everything was great and, but now since there's been something happened in the news and there's been some war outbreak in some areas, it's like all of a sudden, well what if they're one of them? Could you imagine what this was like? Just the tension and the stirring toward division and bitterness and you know how the devil works. The Jews, they were fasting and they were weeping and they were wailing. You know what wailing is? Wailing is that moment that just instantly happens. And you don't know what you're going to do the next moment or if you even can. You know what wailing 
You ever had a wailing moment? Like, it, you know, it, it seemed to be like there was going to be a turnaround. One of their own had become queen, and surely this was going to help them. And then one of their own rescued the king, and surely this was going to be a great reward. We're going to come back, and the people will be blessed. And at this point, everyone is wailing. Do you know what wailing? Do you remember that wailing sensation, that wailing moment and with, where you just get the news, you get the phone call, it happens right in front, and all you can do is go, this is wailing it's so overwhelming literally don't even know if I can grab another breath of air for the next and everybody is wailing except for one Esther she's chilling in the palace clueless of anything that's going on so Mordecai he lets her know he sends her a letter and and he sends her a letter right here in Esther 4 1. He says, Hang on, let me go back a little bit. He sends her a letter. I'm going to summarize it. And says, This is the declaration to annihilate all of the people. And I want you to go in. I want you to do something about it. I want you to go and speak with the king. And this is her reply in Esther 4 1. 4 11, I'm sorry. Sorry about that, dude. Totally messing y'all up today says all the king's officials, even the people in the provinces, know that anyone who, this is her reply to Mordecai, appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king is not called for me, the queen, in 30 days. <laughs> like, whoa, I'm sorry. Didn't realize you were worried about dying. Oh, please, Esther. Don't want you any threats on your life. He's like, you think you're worried? We're all going to die if you don't do something. And this is Mordecai's reply in verse 13. Mordecai, this reply said, uh, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace you're going to escape when all the rest of the Jews are killed. And if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews is going to arise from some other place, but you and your relatives are all going to die. And who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Wait a minute. Catch your, I mean, that sounds great. and That's wonderful. Rise up, backbone. Who knows? I mean, God has set me up. That sounds great. As long as there's no threat. You know, who knows if God put you in algebra to make an A on that first test, but you know, maybe so. You know, some cheesy stuff that we like to apply powerful things, you know. Who knows? I mean, kept, capture this moment. She's been captured. She's been orphaned. She's been trafficked. And all that she has been through for a man who don't even want to see her for 30 days anyway, and she may have been glad about that. She may not. I don't know. But even as his wife, she knows if I go to the king and he doesn't want me, it's just off with my head. And you are going to encourage me Uncle Mordecai, to be bold with a who knows if maybe everything that I have been through, being orphaned, enslaved, trafficked, uncared for, rejected, piece of meat in my husband's own household, and you're going to encourage me to say, who knows if perhaps I've been through all of that for this? 
I would love to give another way, but here's something, a lesson that we can apply. The greater the pain, the greater the power that comes if we will trust God in the middle of it. The greater the pain, the greater the power of God that we walk in and discover. You know, we love the stories that say like, this story will make you cry. See if you can not watch the whole thing. Share it with everyone. What happened, or we go, what happened to this family and how they overcame all obstacles will inspire the hardest of hearts taken America by storm. The most heart-stirring motion picture of all time. How one family lost everything and still held on to one another. I mean, come on, am I telling the truth? You, you invite me to lunch and you're like, hey, I, I, can, I want to go to lunch. Would you, look, I'm paying for it and I just want to tell you about some really good things that have been happening lately. I'm like, uh, let me see what else is going on. Can you just text? Can you just tell me right now? Yeah. It's going to be thought. But you know what? You call up and like, look, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to be in, uh, I'm going to be in Oregon. Uh, next weekend and I'm going to be telling the story of how God brought me out of the deepest of pits and how to the most horrible of situations nobody in this world had any hope in me but God resurrected me and I'm going to get to share my story by the way the admission is 65 bucks and buy your own plane ticket I'm like okay kind of get the ticket now I'm going to pay and I'm going to travel for the story of coming out of the gutter I'm going to, I'm going to go I'm going to go for the against all odds story one thing that is easy to observe in life is this the greater a person is willing to lead, also the greater the pain in the journey. It just is. The greater a person is willing to lead, the greater the pain is in the journey. And in the context of Esther, it's easy to see that, oh man, that's true in her story, for sure. But even greater, you know what, even greater than that is the pain of the real leader in this whole miraculous, what will be a miraculous outcome by chapter 10. And the real leader in the whole story is Mordecai. Catch this. Mordecai was captured. Mordecai took the role of father of his orphan cousin. Let me tell you something. When you adopt, you don't take the role. You become. He became the father of his cousin. He taught her all the wisdom and he prepared her for life as well as helping her through the trauma of things that they had experienced in life. And then in front of his face, she is taken. And she is trafficked. And men in the house, get this. He was powerless to do anything about it. But just watch. Couldn't do anything. And she becomes queen to a very much ego-tripped man, we can see. And Mordecai cannot stop it. He rescued the king and the king signs his death sentence in return. And Mordecai has one shot because he's got connections. You know, it's always good to have a connection, right? He's got one shot because he's close to the queen. It's his daughter. And her reply is, I'm sorry. I don't want to die today. Make no mistake about it, my friends. We all die. However, to those who are willing to trust God's plan to the extreme, we live even after dying. And dying does not have to be the last breath. Sometimes dying is while we're still living. 
I love how Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, and, you know, if he had said, I've died with Christ, it would have been one thing. He said, I've been crucified. That's a, that's a brutal description. I have been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live, though, I live unto the Son of God who gave Himself for me. Everything I have has been taken. But everything I have is fully in Him. There is a pain in living. You know what? There is a pain in living with the experience of a premature loss. There is. There is a pain of living powerless to ever see any hope because of perhaps the haunting of a past or a family name. Or there is a pain that comes with being used and abused. There's a pain when all we can see is doom and gloom and tragedy and we're in the middle of it. But you know what? It's a, there's a greater pain when you're right in the middle of it and you're on. Your closest people, those you wish could see how much you need to be just held. And they take that moment where you need to be held and they just crush you. You know what it's like to be crushed? Remember my dad passed away a few years ago. I was challenging people on a Wednesday night. I was challenging, you still, you're going to love God and you're going you're gonna to still believe in the goodness of Jesus and faithfulness if you had the worst thing happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that very night before we left the parking lot, my dad died in my hands in the parking lot. To add on to it, it was in the midst of a whole bunch of teenagers fighting all around. Being stupid. And the time went by, the days went by, and so my dad, my pastor of a church that all loved him and he loved and is one of the founders here. And, and so I'm, I'm, I've got my family, I've got my siblings and, and family, and I've got, my ch I got the church, and I'm preaching a funeral. And when all this is going on, the turmoil is going on, and, and it comes, there comes a place where, you know what, I just got to find the, my family that is between Callie and I and our children, just like get away. Like, I, I, there just has to be just the tension and the tension and the pressure and the pressure. And if you, you lost someone, you know what it is. It's like, you know, you're making it through, you make it through, but you realize there's a lot of emotion that's just building and building. Grieving is a, is a few, several years of process. It's actually about a month ago that God was showing me that I was moving a little bit. Grieving is, is not something that's just that quick. It, it takes time. It's the grace of God. And I remember at that moment, just it couldn't hold anymore, and was like, "We're going to escape." And we had loaded up everything, and we had a trailer loaded down, and we're we're getting ready. We're just going to escape from everybody for a few days, and who knows when we're coming back? I don't know, but I got to take care of mine and my children who lost their granddad and was right there for the, everything that had went happened, every detail. And I remember, uh, in the process of making our journey, uh happened to come across someone that once had great influence in my life. And instead of asking any single question, they took about 30 seconds to just look me in the eyes and just crush me. And just humiliate me. 
I remember I, I, I was too beat to even, I was too done to even respond. I would have liked to have been angry, but anger just couldn't get there. I'd like to have had an old barroom story, you know, but it just wasn't left. I mean, I just looked and looked, and then when that 30 seconds and all those words were out, I just looked, at, looked them in the eyes and I said, I'm sorry. Walked away. But in my mind, I was going, I know who you are now. Just crushed. Do you know what it is to be crushed? I remember several years back in early 2000, I worked at Austin Jones. I remember the, uh, it was, I was writing insurance. There was a lady across the desk and she had a little two-year-old daughter there. And I didn't know and paying attention, but there was some hard candy on my desk. It was some Lifesaver or Wintergreen or something. I don't know. But anyway, them little hard circle candies. And meanwhile, the kid had come and hugged the wrapper while we're saying, like, you know, what's your date of birth and Social Security number and your car model and all this stuff. And the child walks back up, had walked off a while and just come up and looks at the mama and just foaming at the mouth and is pointing. And, go, and there's no breath coming in, there's no air going out, and it's to the point of foaming. And if you know anything, when the foaming is coming on, it's bad. It's not going, it's nothing. And the mom did the worst thing she could have done. She panicked and handed the child to me. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Gravity's got to be a good friend. I've got a belly in my hand holding like this, and I just run outside the door and I go, help, help. I don't know what to do. He is dying in my hands. Like 20, 25 people gathered around and everybody's just staring. I'm just wishing somebody take the child at least dial nil, honestly. Because I don't know what to do. And man worked about 75 yards there besides he come walking over and thankfully he had a nursing home. He'd worked at for a lot of years, mental health things, and he understood all the stuff. And he said, Can I have the child? I mean, we're like a minute and 20 seconds or 30 seconds in at this point. It's been a while. He takes and reaches in, finds the candy, boom, pops, reaches in and gets there. He's got blood on his hand from going, reaching so far down his throat and teeth cutting up. And but the kid, <gasps> I mean, gets in miraculously. The child's like 20-something now. But the whole time, the grandmother is on the sidelines. I told you not to let that kid have any hard candy. I told you something bad was going to happen. I told you you were going to kill that girl one day, letting him have, they were too young to have it. The whole, the kid is, still doesn't have a breath. Do you know what I'm talking about? And the grandmother just took the time with her daughter while her grandchild is dying to her daughter and just crush. Do you know what I'm talking about? The person who should have been holding and begging out to God. Instead, just crucifying her daughter brutally right there. There's a pain that exists in life that happens that will cause all of us to face the truth of, is my hope and only what I want? And if so, I can tell you what will happen every single time. We will curse God, yell, why me? And choose resentment for the only one who can set us free of the weakness that we have. If there is a hope in only what I want and only the way I think it should be and only the way that I see it come, we will curse God. And I won't ask for a raise of hands, but I wonder how that's happened just in a run this side. But a hope that is founded in God alone with a love for His Son that is ever growing. When it's in there, I'm going to tell you what, it will shock you what rises up in the middle of what you did not think you can hit.
when there is a love for Jesus in that moment of wailing comes, it will shock you what comes up. Because you didn't think you were half the person that you're, you're just like experiencing and freaking out on. I'm not preaching gloom, but what I am saying is this. Jesus enabled the joy of His resurrection after the brutality of the crucifixion. And God, this event, this season, this life, it doesn't make sense. I got good news. Hang on a little longer. Just hang on a little longer. Mordecai's response, Mordecai's response to like, who knows? It wasn't, you know what? It wasn't someone who just knew pain for the first time. It wasn't somebody who broke their finger on a Sunday after they got out of church and like, why me? This was not somebody's first experience with tragic pain. Because that would have just been bitter rage. But Mordecai, after all he's been through, after all he's faced his own weakness, he's faced his own inability to rescue his beloved daughter, and he rose up and he said, Girl, I haven't raised you this way. You didn't get to where you are by chance. This is not all an accident or coincidence. God knew a day would come to reveal His power against all the plans of hell that would come against His people. And He did not put you here for no reason. And who knows? Who knows? Who knows that perhaps you were made queen through the process you were made queen for just such a time as this. Who knows? And Esther's response in short was this, and we'll look at this next week. I'll do it. Yeah, that's the short version. I'll do it. There's a faith in God that will pull that, will pull, that you will pull out of people that you could not have pulled out of them any other way if you had not walked through what you walked through before you ran into them. You know, uh, it's not an appeal to you, but we need to know that, you know what, whatever you've been through, I, I don't, I never play that understanding story. Because you know what, I found, you know what we all, I think we're all mature enough to realize every single person's pain is extreme because it's theirs. It doesn't have to be the same. It doesn't have to relate. There's a creator who relates. We need to know that none, nothing that has happened has any of us here by accidents, by random chance. You have not, and I don't know how this lands, but whatever you've been through, you've not been through just for you. This is a plan of God for your life. It's a plan to rescue others from the power of hell that is storming. It's a plan in, in this community to see 800 people reach through this community, that being you guys, by the end of this year. That's crazy. I think God sent His Son to the cross was a pretty crazy idea, but He did it. It's to see thousands reached over the next few years. It's to see people living in the, the majority of our community living in the abundance of a radical faith-filled full life in Christ. It's a plan. You know what? To, to, it's a plan what He's done through you. It's a plan to have you on the part of a team of serving and seeing that your gifts come alive and seeing people made new as God works through you. And you've, got, you've been shaped by what you've been through. I remember when my dad passed away, I received a phone call a day or two later by a mentor of mine, Dr. Brasfield, and and he said something that I didn't understand. I didn't even want to hear it at the moment. But I began to understand it in the days to come. 
And he said, Danny, he related some of his own stories. and He said, I know you've heard of grace. I said, yes, sir. He said, and he said, we're real good about preaching the grace of God. And by grace we are saved. And kind of grace as this, this object, if you will. He said, but there's, there's other translations of grace. There's other, there's other identities of grace. And he says, grace is not just a standalone something, you know, that's in your deposit account, what have you, that qualifies you. He said, but you're going to find also it's in the charise form, which is an action, an active form. He said, you're going to find that grace becomes a force. It becomes a force that starts to work through you. It's a force that starts to move and where you don't think you can go and all of a sudden you're okay and you don't think you're going to make it through and all of a sudden there's peace and you're going to understand that grace becomes a force that just leads and guides and carries you. And I didn't at that time, I was like, man, I don't want to hear about it and carry it. I just want to kind of like roll over and cry. But I come in the times after that to discover and to learn what it was and to experience like, oh, wow, it was right. What he said, when you're crushed, there's still there's a force of grace that can carry you. Maybe you're here today and you're like, man, Danny, I've been on drugs since I was eight years old. And I walked away and nobody supported me. Good. You felt rejected in a hard time. And, but you know what? It creates acceptance now and a hope in Jesus that you can share with others that would not have seen. Your spouse messed you up and then just left you hanging high and dry. Well, praise God. You thought God abandoned you. You're like, I'm in pieces emotionally. I don't know how much more I can handle. And you, you thought God abandoned you, but you hung on the faith steel, the measure that, was, that you could see left. You know what? Praise God, because now thousands will be rescued through you. As you allow your pain to be a place where the light shines through, not where the darkness covers over. You've been rejected. You've been counted not enough. You've been criticized and when you gave your best and you loved in response to hate that may have been given. Well, you know what? You've been given a platform now to liberate others from an incarcerated life that is smothered with hate that they carry. God hasn't put any of us together to just smile and tell everybody, say, Jesus says it's going to be all right, be all right. Be... No, 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 no. But we are united in declaring, you know what, to anyone who will, if we will surrender everything and choose Jesus with our whole heart, our whole being, our whole mind, our whole strength, then we'll learn that even though if you got a maybe you're in like a hospice care of spirituality in a spiritual way, and, and it seems like the, the nurse called weeping is always landing on the night shift, and she's not telling you that there's a there's a shift transfer coming out in the morning and joy is coming on. You know, if you'll hang on a little while longer, hang in there a little bit further because joy comes in the morning. Our life isn't stuck here. And we are a part of an ever-expanding kingdom that is eternal. And he says, great is the reward. I love Hebrews 11, 6 says, and without faith it is impossible to please him because whoever comes to God must not just only believe that he is, but believe that he is a rewarder. A rewarder of those who seek him. I love Mordecai tells Esther, if you don't step up, God's going to rescue us through somebody else. So it might as well be you. And all you've been through, 
and all the pain you carry. Now just rise up and be the one who has been rescued and begin to rescue others the same. Who knows? Let's take this very personal. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows if perhaps every single part of your story that you have come that you have come to to this point is a part that puts you here in history for such a time as this. Who knows? See, at some measure, there is a the details may be different, but there is a story of Job in, in everyone that is available. That after you lose everything, you come to a place that says, you know what? God, I used to know you from a distance. But now I know you up close. And after Job lost everything, it's man, this you talk about. I, I might want to just skip the end of Job. Because it says this. It says and the latter of his days were better than the former. After being stripped of everything, and the ending was better than the beginning. You know what? I don't know where you are in all this, this journey, but I need you to know that, pull up a note that I need, the rest of your days, by God Almighty, Regardless of the situation and circumstance, God ordained is the best of our days. Sorry. But now, right now, typically for whatever story you're in, it's the middle. In the beginning, we have it figured out, don't we? When we helped that person on the side road, we had it figured out. We gave that $1,000 on a Monday. We had it figured out. When we helped the little lady with her groceries, we had it figured out. God's going to bless me. But now in the middle, sometimes we don't know what to do. But here's one guarantee. By the end, we'll all see with clarity. We're just getting started into Esther's journey. And there's nothing that looks good, but it ends really, really well. i just go ahead and be the spoiler because... I'm the guy who can watch movies, and you're like, let's go back to being. I'm like, no, nah, we'll just start right here. I'm cool. Well, it's the last two minutes. That's all right. That's where the action is anyway. We get past all that other stuff. I'm, I'm that guy. Drives my family crazy. Let me tell you what happened. I don't care. Let's just join in. In the end, we see with clarity. So here's my, my, my the close of today. The spoiler is Esther does rescue him. She does speak up. It turns out miraculous. I go ahead and tell you, Haman's going to die. Questions to consider. Why should I trust God who allows pain? Why should I trust a God who allows pain? Number one, it's just three of them here. Because he went through voluntary pain for each one of us. He sent His Son and He didn't have to. He knew the beginning and from the very beginning He knew the end and He still chose to, send, to create us and to send His Son and to go through the pain voluntarily on our behalf. Number two, why should I trust God who allows pain? 
because his plans are a start to finish plan for our life and the purpose through our life. We only know the part that we see. And while each one of us may not have chose the path that we have or the event that has happened, but we don't know how to make any long-term decisions anyway because we don't know tomorrow. He does. Start to finish. Why should I trust a God who allows pain? Because the testimonies of the people who have seen God work miracles that they never, ever, ever would have imagined in the season they were wanting to give up. And they testify that there is hope in God the Father. There is hope in Jesus' Son no matter what earthly sufferings happen. The apostles, they did not understand Jesus' death. It was the worst thing in ever for them. They lost all hope. But you give them a little bit, little while and the understanding turned around and they become the very same people who willingly allowed themselves to be martyred. Not because of what they believed, but because of what they saw. And they saw the faithfulness and they saw the truth. And they, they didn't just see a crucifixion. They didn't just see the resurrection. They saw the hope of the Son of God right before them. And they saw how He responded. They saw how He rose. They saw what He did. And they said, you know, not because of what you tell me, because of what I saw. I cannot deny what I have seen and heard. And I am willing. Some of them drugged to death. Some of them pulled apart. Some of them crucified. Some of them boiled. Some of them all different things said, I cannot. I, people will die for what they believe. That's... No big deal. People die for what they believe. But no one's going to die for a lie for what they saw. That'd be foolish to die for a lie that they saw. Lord Jesus, with heads bowed and eyes closed, Remember the words of the man who died in his 20s. And his prayer was, Lord, I ask not for a long life, but for a full one. God, none of us knows the day. None of us knows the time. None of us knows what's coming when we're leaving. We didn't know things that were coming that we saw before. But God, I pray today as a congregation, as a family, united and we know what it is to live a full life a life that exists even in the midst of what everybody else sees as dying that everything can be lost and yet we still walk in great gain that earth has no threat because the relationship with you is stronger than anything that common eye can see. We're in here with heads bowed and eyes closed. If there's people in here today, you know what, you say, I relate with that pain story really well. In fact, you wouldn't believe half the stuff that I have to share. But it's still in the morning. It's still in the wailing season. Perhaps you're realizing today that you know what? It does not have to be the way that it's been. That there can be a joy in the middle of the pain. It is a reality. There can be a hope in the middle of the despair. 
And today you're saying, you know what, I don't know that. And I'm realizing it is through Jesus Christ who took the shame on a cross for my sake. And God was crucified by man so that man could have a relationship with God. And he gave his life willingly to cover every sin that separates us. And today, he says, you know what, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Well, what does it mean? It means if we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, it says we become righteous. Well, what does that mean? It says righteous means the right standing with God. Son of God, every inheritance that belonged to Jesus Christ is now yours. Everything that God gave to His Son is now yours. Everything that the deity of the Father gave gives to the de deity of the Son, you are now known as children of God by adoption just by confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior and saying, not my will, but your will be done from this day forward. Forgive me of my sins. And take over my life and lead me. If that's you today, all over the house, I want to ask you to just raise a hand in the air and say, Dan, that's me. Today, I, in a way that I understand, I am giving my life radically to Jesus Christ. I, I am trusting Him. Hope, joy, pain, confusion, whatever the case may be, today is the day I'm moving from a church person to a child of God. I'm moving to a person who wrestles with my guilt to realizing everything has been covered. That I am holy and righteous in His sight. Second group of people is this. As we're going to close with a worship song here in just a moment. When it does, I want to invite you to stand up. And there's a prayer team up here that would love to pray with you. You know what? Maybe we don't want anybody walking alone. And we don't want you getting crushed without realizing there are people who want to hold you up. Be able to walk this story out with you and to see the miracles come. You know what? We do believe that right side of that prayer journal can be filled in in Jesus' name. It's not just a fictitious blank page. Miracles still happen. So as we stand to close and God's moving on your heart, maybe to come to the altar, pray, maybe, maybe it's just, just seeking the Lord, maybe it's need someone with you. The prayer team is available. So let's stand and band, lead us on. Bring the power down. We trust. God, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. And may we rescue others with the love that you've given. In Jesus' name.